A&M, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week for my very first episode. Make sure to check out all my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover the first four chapters of The Hunger Games. For each episode, I am going to start out with a brief recap of the chapters for that week, just in case anyone falls behind or isn't reading along or just needs a refresher. So these first few chapters introduce us to Panem and some of the history as well as the present living conditions of District 12. We're introduced to our protagonist, Katniss Everdeen, who is 16 years old at the time of this novel, as well as her family. She has a younger sister named Prim, who is 12, and they live with just their mother because their father died in a coal mining accident when Katniss was 11 and Prim was 7. We're also introduced to Katniss's closest friend and hunting partner, Gail Hawthorne. Our first major event of the book is, of course, the reaping, where male and female tribute are chosen from each district to go fight to the death in the Hunger Games. At this particular reaping, Prim's name is chosen despite it being her first year and her only having one entry, and Katniss volunteers to take her place. The male tribute selected is Peter Miller. We learn a bit more about him and how he once saved Katniss from starvation when they were both 11 years old. Katniss then says her goodbyes to her mother, Prim, and Gail, She's also visited by the baker, aka Peta's father, and Madge Undersea, the mayor's daughter, who she is friends with through school. Madge gives her a mockingjay pin and asks her to wear it as her token in the arena. Finally, we have the train ride to the Capitol, where Katniss and Peta officially meet their mentor, Hamish Abernathy, who is a former victor of the games. He is completely drunk, but he agrees to stay sober enough to help them if they agree to do everything he says. The last chapter in this section ends with the train arriving at the Capitol. So we have a lot packed into these first few chapters, um, and I first want to talk about some of the world building, because that's obviously a big thing with the start of the book, and this is our first introduction to Panem as a country and its history and why the Hunger Games are even a thing, and I want to talk about that a bit more. So we know that Panem sits on what used to be North America, um, and there are a lot of great like interpretations and maps of Panem out there, so you should definitely go check those out, because it kind of gives you a good idea of like where the different districts are, where the capital is in relation to everything and like how the borders of the country have changed from when it was like North America and from when the base structure of the country was the United States of America. And we know that Panem came to be because what once was North America sort of fell to many disasters. In the book, they list droughts, storms, fires, enroaching seas that swallowed up so much of the land and the brutal war for what little sustenance remained. Um, And after that, everything kind of fell apart until Panem rose up, quote, out of the ashes of that. And then 74 years prior to the start of this book, we have something called the Dark Days, which is when what was originally 13 districts rose up against the capital in a rebellion. Um, And obviously the districts lost, hence why the capital is still in charge. And the 13th district was obliterated. And Katniss even acknowledges at one point that she knows that there's like more to this story than is being told and is being taught to them in schools. But she sort of has this attitude of like, I have a sister and a mother to feed, you know, like knowing what really happened in this rebellion 74 years ago is not going to help me put food on the table. It's not going to help me survive. So I'm just going to focus on keeping my family alive and doing what I need to do to survive now in the present moment. And now I want to talk a bit about Gail and his contrast to that. Because Gail, we know from just these first few chapters, is very like 
believes in change in a way that I don't think that Katniss does specifically at this point. Like there are scenes, you know, where they're out in the woods and she even like talks about how in the past, you know, he'll spend like hours in the woods just like talking about everything that's wrong with Panem, everything that's wrong with District 12 and how much he wishes he could do something about it. And Katniss is sort of on the flip side of that of like, we can't do anything about it, but she still allows him to complain and even does some of it herself because she knows that like, his concerns are obviously very valid and there are a lot of things wrong, but she just doesn't feel like, especially her personally, but even like the people of District 12 are in any place to do anything about it. And that brings me to this scene in the early chapters where Gail and Katniss go to visit Madge Undersea at the mayor's house and they sell her some berries. And it's obviously reaping day. She's wearing a nice dress. She's wearing her gold mockingjay pin. And they have this exchange where Gail like, compliments her dress you know like sort of just kind of pointing out the fact that like he or Katniss could never afford something that nice and she makes a comment along the lines of like if I'm going to the Capitol, I might as well look good and then Gail fires back at that and is basically like you're not going to go to the Capitol because your name's not in as many times as ours because people of the districts can choose to enter their name in more times in exchange for a year's supply of grain and oil for their families And this is something that Katniss and Gail have had to do since they were 12 years old because they're both the main providers of food for their family. And so we know that Gail's name is in the reaping 42 times. Madge is nowhere near that many. And so obviously a comment like that is going to rock him the wrong way. And then he takes it out on her. And Katniss is the one to be like, it's not her fault. Like the, the mayor of District 12 didn't create the system, didn't create these rules. And Madge obviously didn't create them. But she also understands where Gail's coming from, like obviously seeing someone so much wealthier than you who's never going to have the same level of concern as you do about getting your name reaped just based on like simple odds. The probability of her getting picked is so much lower than someone like Gail or Katniss getting picked. But like Katniss was never going to make a comment to Madge about it, but Gail absolutely is. And even he knows like it's not necessarily fair of him to take that out on Madge, but also the like disproportionate impact on the people who have greater wealth in District 12 versus the people like Katniss and Gail who are from the seam where they don't have a lot and they have no choice but to put their name in more times simply to survive. And the impact is even like skewed across the districts. Like even the wealthier people of District 12 are not comparable to the wealthier people of say District 1 or 2, which are sort of considered like the favored districts because they provide more luxury goods. Whereas District 12, obviously, the main good they provide is coal, which is not seen as a luxury item. And so they're seen as more expendable. And they're more of like the working class where the people of one and two would be a higher class. And then moving on from that into the capital, which are like the wealthiest, the highest class people, the people who don't even have to worry about getting reaped because they don't reap anyone from the capital, obviously. And so I think we get a really good idea right off the bat of the differences of Gail's and Katniss's characters because we know that they have a lot of similarities as well, specifically like personality wise. And we'll see a lot more of that going forward. So I'm only just going to lightly touch on it today. But we also see some differences in like their outlook on the world. And there's a lot of really good moments in these early chapters with that, especially because like they don't get to interact a lot across all the books really but specifically in this book talking about like you know Katniss goes off to the games and Gail's not there and obviously the books are written in first person from Katniss's perspective so 
it's really important that you get this view of Gale in these first few chapters so you know who he is going forward so that like when you come back to him in the later books you already kind of know what he's about you know where his mind is and that way like the evolution of his character going forward you can all trace it back to what he's doing in these early chapters and that's definitely something I'm going to circle back to specifically when we get to like Catching Fire and especially in Mockingjay because that's when you really see it but I just think it's important to note how much character work is done for him despite the fact that he's really only in these first like not even the full four chapters. I do want to briefly bring up the Mockingjay pin because obviously it's an item of significance to the story and like the Mockingjay itself is a very important symbol Um, and again that's something that comes into play more going forward. But I did just want to point out the difference here between book and movie. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time dwelling on like things I think the books did better than movies or vice versa or comparing them. That's stuff I'm mostly going to save for episodes like focusing on the movies in particular and do some comparison. But there is one big thing I'm going to talk about, which is that in the book, Katniss gets the Mockingjay pin from Madge. Madge specifically asks her to wear it as a token of her district, whereas in the movie, it doesn't have that same significance because Katniss just like finds it while she's out doing her trades for the day and she likes it and she gives it prim as a token of luck. So that's where it gets its significance in the movies. But in the book, it gets its significance from Madge giving it to her. And there actually is a greater history to like where Madge got the pin from. And it has to do with the second quarter quell and her aunt and I won't say too much about it right now because that's really something that I'm going to get into like in Catching Fire is really when that comes back into play. But it's just an important thing to remember like where she gets it from and that it has significance, but not just to Madge because we know that Katniss's father was a singer. He loved music. He would sing to the Mockingjays all day and they would repeat his songs. And Katniss obviously has a lot of fond memories of her father, specifically as it pertains to music. And so having the Mockingjay pin with her is sort of like a little way of having her father with her. And so it's just nice that it has like that double meaning of like, oh, it came from Madge. And it's obviously meaningful to her family in ways that we don't even know yet. But also it can hold meaning for Katniss because a Mockingjay is like a symbol of her father. And it's her way of keeping him close through all the horrible things that are going to happen throughout the rest of the book, but really the entire series. So now I want to talk a bit about PETA because how could I not? I love him so much. Um, And as we all should, like he's great. Um, In these first few chapters, I want to talk a bit about some of the very first character traits we learned about him and also this incident with him and Katniss and the bread, which is something that's going to get called back to literally up until the very end of the third novel. So the first things that we kind of gather about Peta's character is just like right off the bat, his kindness. We have Katniss sort of remembering this time when it was right after her father had died. She wasn't yet 12 years old and she was trying to help her family survive because her mother like did not cope well with her father's death and basically like checked out for a while. Um, So Katniss sort of has no choice but to become like the head of the house, so to speak, and like provide for everyone. And she, this is at a point where she's like really struggling and she's close to turning 12, but not quite close enough that they can make it that long. And she's outside the bakery and Peta's mother comes out and basically tells her to like get away, stop going through their trash, says some horrible things to her. Um, And then shortly after, Peta comes out with some burnt bread and his mother telling him to feed it to the pigs. And he like secretly throws a couple loaves in Katniss's direction. 
And like in the moment, she's just grateful for the food that she's not going to starve and she's able to feed her family again. But then thinking back on it, she kind of realizes that maybe he did this on purpose, you know, like maybe he burned the bread on purpose, knowing that it would have consequences for him because we know how his mother treats him. We know that she literally hits him for this, like, and he would have known that before doing it. And also one thing that I want to point out that I feel like kind of gets lost a lot is that Peta is also only 11 years old here. And we talk a lot about like imagining what Katniss is going through just at age 11. And I think that there's something interesting on the flip side of that, of like what Peta is willing to do for another person at age 11. Like you can't like imagine yourself as an 11 year old and doing something like that for someone else. Like it's so hard to think about, but that's just the kind of person he is and has been literally his entire life. And I also just think there's a lot like to be said about, you know, Peta's upbringing and the fact that we know that his mother is physically abusive um and how that like factors into his character going forward and how he manages to be so like kind and gentle and loving despite the fact that he didn't necessarily get that growing up because we know that his dad is like kind like he is like he agrees to kind of look out for prim you know he knows Katniss and her family and he even comes to see her and gives her some cookies before she goes but like we also have his mother who is the exact opposite of that and who like everyone like even Katniss knows like oh you don't go to trade at the bakery unless she is not there um and so I think that like the way that Peta was raised obviously has a lot to do with the kind of person that he is um going forward and so I like that one of the first things we learned about him is how kind he is and selfless and like willing to put himself in harm's way for another person because obviously that's something that is going to be relevant going forward and so yeah this that little like glimpse into their past is really where we get to see like Peta is not just like oh he's nice like no he's literally willing to put himself at risk for another person it's something that he really values about himself as well like he understands the value in being good and being kind in a world where there's not a lot of that because everyone's kind of out for themselves like it's hard to survive in specifically district 12 but like panem in general if you're not one of the wealthier people if you're not a capital citizen and so i think that he unlike a lot of people can see the value of goodness um and that's something that like makes him such a powerful force in these books and makes him have such an impact on Katniss and obviously that's something I'm going to talk about over and over and over again going through these novels because it's one of the biggest reoccurring themes um but it's again like we've only read four chapters and we already know that about him and we already see how like deep that goes like we even have little other scenes not just with the bread but like when they're on the train and he agrees to help clean up Haymitch and so that Katniss doesn't have to do it. Like little things like that, that he wouldn't even think much of just be like, oh yeah, I'm just like being nice. I'm just offering to do what's good. But to Katniss hold so much weight because she's never really been shown that kindness. And also like, not to say that she's like a bad person or like she's so mean, whatever, but like, but we know her to be a person who would not be like, oh, kindness is my best trait. Like that's, I need to be kind. Like above all else like that's never something that she prioritizes because she can't really afford to like it's about survival for her and you know it's not like to say oh Peta's never struggled like Peta's never had a hard time surviving like no one in district 12 really has enough to eat that's like the thing we know but like 
there's still a difference between being a baker in District 12 versus being the daughter of coal miners from the seam. And again, that's something that's addressed very early on and something that circles back around later. And so for Katniss, she's a little bit more like harsh. She's a bit more stubborn. Um, And obviously those differences in their characters are a big part of how their relationship to each other evolves going forward. There's also another layer to it of the fact that Katniss has a really hard time trusting people. And again, it's just a result of like all the things that have happened to her and the world that she lives in. Um, And she also like harbors a lot of anger towards her mother for kind of not being there for her and Prim after her father's death. And in a way that Prim, you know, Prim is a lot more forgiving. Prim has forgiven their mother and she's glad to have her like be somewhat back to who she was. But for Katniss, she even acknowledges the fact that she can't so easily forgive that. But I think that this lack of trust is a really, really big part of her character. And it's something that like stands out so prominently to me. And even like with the way this chapter ends, you know, we can see that she doesn't trust PETA, even though really has he given her a reason not to trust him? No. I mean, obviously the circumstances that they're in, like if one of them survives, the other can't like there's no way both of them make it out of this alive and so obviously you're not going to be like trying to become best friends with someone who you might have to kill or they might kill you in a couple weeks um but there's still like you know he's always been kind to her he's gone out of his way to help her like he's never done anything to her in fact exactly the opposite and she feels that she owes a debt to him because he saved her and her family's life when they were 11 But then like towards the end of this chapter, she sees that he's like being smart about this and he's like waving the people to capital and already like thinking about like sponsors, whatever. And she views this as, oh, he's already playing the game and I can't trust him because that game involves killing me, which, you know, she's right. Like if he wants to live, she can't. That's just how it goes here. And that's like, obviously something that they have to grapple with and I think that that's like a common thread between like two people coming from the same districts and you're like we want someone from our district to win because it would be good from our district for our district not just like that individual person but also we can't both win you know like what like for this to happen one of us would have to die and maybe it's one of us killing the other and there's sort of this bond that comes from coming from the same district but it's offset by the fact that like you're in natural competition with each other. And even if you do decide to like team up or have allies again, it's like that can only last for so long. And if you're in an alliance with someone, the probability of you having to kill them is even higher because when it gets down to the point where it's only the two of you or just a couple other people left, someone's got to turn on the other and you have to kind of like make that cutoff of like, okay, we can't work together anymore because at the end of the day, only one person gets to walk out of here alive. Now, just to talk a little bit about Haymitch, um, for anyone not aware, Haymitch is my favorite Hunger Games character and also, fun fact, my favorite fictional character ever written. So I'm going to be talking about him a lot on here, just fair warning. But also, there's just so much to say about him. I mean, like, right off the bat, you know, he's completely drunk at the reaping. He's drunk on the train, like, can barely even stand up straight in fact he like literally falls off the stage at the reaping and like he's by all definitions a mess and when you first start off with that it kind of gets you thinking of like he won the hunger games 
years and years and years and years ago. And he's the only living victor from District 12. And every year he mentors two tributes and every year they die. And that is obviously something that gets delved into a lot more with his character going forward. But like when you think about it right from the beginning, that could take a toll on a person as does just like having survived the Hunger Games. Like the trauma of that experience isn't something that goes away, especially when you bury it in alcohol, which is what he's been doing for the past many, many years. And it's even more so for him, too, than like victors of other districts where at least there's others. It's just been him. And he has no one who understands the experience that he went through. Um, And then on top of that, no one that understands the experience of mentoring tributes year after year after year and watching them die. So he literally has no support system. And trust me, his backstory, we get into that a lot later. And I am going to be such a problem when it comes time to talk about it. But I will restrain myself for now. And just leave it at he doesn't have a support system. He has no one to turn to. And so he buries his feelings in alcohol and chooses to just like not feel anything. And then he sees Katniss and Peeta and they have a little bit of heart, a little bit of spirit, you know, and he basically realizes like, okay, you know what? I can sober up enough to help you guys if you agree to do what I say. And we even get like, just in the few things that he says in this chapter, like he is very smart and he knows the Hunger Games. Like, obviously that's his job as a mentor, but you kind of think at first like, oh, he's just like so far gone. Like he's not going to be able to help at all. But even when he's still like drunk, like um, this morning on the train, like at the very end of chapter four, he's still like, oh, oh, skills like this are going to be like useful for you in the games. Or like, you're going to want to start doing this or that or like whatever. Like he knows the games inside and out because it's been his entire life for the past 24 years like the only things he has done is either sit at home and drink or be a mentor or attend the reefings or like do other victor things that again we'll get into but like it's been his entire life he has nothing else and so that is very sad yes and it contributes to like why he is the way that he is now but it also means that he knows what he's doing and again like he did win once and he won the second quarter quell which we come to learn was not an easy thing to do um so he clearly knows what he's doing he's clearly very smart and so he clearly knows what he's doing he's clearly very smart and that becomes even more and more clear as we sort of go forward and also as we see this really interesting bond between him and Katniss grow it's like one of my favorite things about the series is sort of the connection they develop with each other and again like I could talk about them for literal hours but I won't right now because we're not really there yet but trust me once they start interacting more once we get into the later books it's pretty much going to be all I talk about. So just get prepared for that. One more thing I want to talk a little bit about is Prim and what she represents in the story, what she means to Katniss and just her character in general. Again, she's another character where like, she's really not in this book very much. Like obviously her presence is felt the entire time through Katniss and like, and her just like existence and her relationship to Katniss fuels a lot of what Katniss is doing later in the book but she's not really there. And I think it's really interesting how much of an impact she manages to have, despite the fact that she's really only in a few chapters of this book. 
but we know how much she means to Katniss. I mean, like Katniss is literally willing to die for her. Like she volunteers with kind of the mindset of like, there's no way I can win this thing, but I'm not going to let Prim die. And that's not something like it happens really early on and you're like, oh yeah, it's for Prim and you kind of like move on from it. But that's not something to be taken lightly. Like we already know it's said in the book that like, you know, Peta had an older brother who could have volunteered for him, but didn't. And there's a line about how like family loyalty only goes so far on reaping day. And when you think about it, like, yes, they're your siblings, but you're volunteering to die for them. Like that is not an easy decision to make for anyone. And for a lot of people, that's not a decision that they can make. And so the fact that Katniss does it with like next to no hesitation, like knowing what the probable outcome is, says so much about her and also her connection to Prim. And Prim at this point in the story kind of represents this like light and innocence and specifically hope is one thing that I always keep in mind with Prim's character. And it's really important going forward if you like thinking about how she's supposed to represent hope. Um, And she's also just a more hopeful, optimistic person when she really has no reason to be like, look at the state of her life right now. But somehow she manages to be the hopeful one. Like she's the one to tell Katniss, like, you know, you have a chance. And it's not just like, it doesn't come across as like a little kid way of being like, oh, please try to win. Like you have a chance. But like the way she looks her in the eye and like tells her, you know, you're brave and you're fast and you're skilled and you have a chance of winning this thing. And Katniss in her mind is like, yeah, right. I have no chance of winning this, but I'll tell Prim that I do. But Prim is the one who really believes that she can win. And it's partially because of like, the view that she has of Katniss as her younger sister but it's also because she's a hopeful person and we see that in her nature like going forward I think Catching Fire is really the moment where it like resonated for me the most of how like she's supposed to be a symbol of hope in Katniss's life and even in their mother's life like we know that the two of them are going to be spending all this time together having to watch Katniss like literally fight to not die on their television every single day and you know we know what happened with Mrs. Everdeen when their father died like we know how hard it was for the family and so you have to think like even though we don't actually see it we have to know that Prim is going to be a big impact on her mother it's not just like oh our mother has to watch out for Prim because Katniss isn't there anymore and like Gail's going to bring them stuff whatever but like if it weren't for Prim's like spirit and her hopefulness they would not have gotten through that the way that they I'm sure they did um and again this is stuff that we kind of have to like infer because obviously with this being from Katniss's perspective we don't actually get to see that but knowing Prim's character and knowing her role within this family we can sort of deduce that like she really had to be the one to kind of like you know keep hope alive and help their mother stay hopeful Um, And I think that really says a lot about her because, again, she's only 12 years old. And also there's another layer to that of, like, Katniss volunteered for her. So if Katniss doesn't make it through this, like, she died for her. And that's something that as a 12-year-old or someone of any age, but specifically at that young of an age, is, like, really a lot to grapple with. So imagine that watching it on TV live and also having to help your mother get through it it's just something that like since it's from Katniss's perspective we don't necessarily think about but when you really think of like what 
Prim and Miss Severdeen must have been going through during all of that. And again, like going forward, you know, it's addressed, but there's also a lot more that happens and a lot more that piles onto that. And Prim as a character has a really interesting arc after this book. Um, and again, that's something that like specifically during Catching Fire, we'll really get into like the evolution of her character and how that impacts the people around her. But it's just something to keep in mind, like as you're reading and as we have these moments where Katniss is so obviously thinking about Prim, whether it's explicitly stated or we can just infer it based on what's happening, to think about like Prim as a person and as a character and like what she is going through in those moments. And it really like kind of rounds out the story and rounds out these characters and their relationships and is something that is very meaningful in the relationship between Prim and Katniss which is obviously one of the foundational relationships of the story I mean it's literally the first one that we get introduced to is Katniss and Prim and their connection to each other and it's one of those relationships that stays very solid throughout the series where everything else kind of fluctuates but they have this love for each other as sisters that is sort of like this grounding point for them and it's a constant in their lives and even though they are separated a lot of the time they still have that and they still like can hold on to their memories of each other and each other's spirit like Katniss has this fighting spirit that Prim kind of like latches onto in times when she needs it whereas on the flip side of that Prim has a very gentle spirit very light and hopeful as I was saying and Katniss kind of like can draw from that when she needs a bit more of that in her life. So they really like use their differences from each other to strengthen their relationship. And I think that's a big part of what makes it so meaningful. Um, It makes me think of this little passage in these chapters actually, where um, Katniss is sort of like reminiscing on a time when she wanted to teach Prim how to hunt so that she could like maybe help provide for the family, but couldn't do it because Prim as soon as they would shoot an animal would be like, oh, maybe if we get it home in time, we can heal it and it'll be okay. Which I think is just such a great look at her character um, and like how caring she is, how much she cares and how like, you know, being a healer kind of runs in their family from their mother to Prim. But like very early on, we can see that like a healer is what she is at her nature Whereas Katniss is, she definitely has some of that in her. Like, I don't think that that's something that we should dismiss or ignore. But like, if you boil it down to like their base characteristics, Katniss is more of a fighter, whereas Prim is more of a healer. Um, And obviously that's an oversimplification. And, you know, especially based off of like these early chapters, you can kind of sort it like that. And then it kind of evolves from there, especially with Katniss being the protagonist and us being inside her head for three books we get to see that it's not exactly that simple. But if you just look at it from that lens of their relationship to each other and their differences, it really makes for a strong foundation of this story. And it also makes us care immediately. Like, obviously, we're going to care about Katniss because she's the protagonist, but also she is just looking out for her younger sister and she's literally willing to die for her. And it makes her such a lovable character instantly. Like. And it's not just us as readers, like characters in the story are drawn to her because of this act she has of volunteering for Prim. Like it's immediately seen in that scene when the people of District 12 give her the like three finger salute, which obviously again is like an important symbol going forward. And so it's nice to note the origins of that is that it starts in District 12. It's a District 12 gesture. And it basically means like 
love and caring and Katniss describes it as like a goodbye to someone that you love and she has this moment there where she's like I didn't realize that the people of District 12 even knew me or cared about me or would care if anything happened to me and for some of them you know it's a personal thing of like oh I've bought game from her like I've seen her in the hob or I knew her father who was also very beloved by people of District 12 and also like a lot of people love Prim because how could you not love Prim you know but it's also like even people who didn't know her, who had no idea who she was until that moment, just saw her do this incredibly selfless thing of literally like sacrificing herself for her sister. And that instantly makes you care about a person, even if you have no idea who they are, like, you know that they're a good person right off the bat. Um, And so I think that's just also an important thing to know and what Suzanne Collins does such a good job of here is really getting you invested in these characters early on and showing you like yes showing you their faults you know these aren't perfect people showing you what maybe their character flaws are but also showing you like why you should care about them. So to close off today's episode I'm just going to talk a little bit about my history with the franchise so like how I got into it you know like what my experience as a fan has been just briefly to give everyone like a little bit of a better idea so my first introduction was with the Hunger Games movie in 2012 I didn't know anything about the franchise before that and my parents took me to go see it and I absolutely loved it and so that was what made me decide to start reading the books and then I read all three novels before I saw Catching Fire the next year I literally still remember like I experienced seeing Catching Fire in theaters for the first time. Um, and then after that, in the next few years, we went to see Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 at midnight on the day that they came out. And it was like our little like family thing. Um, so like those were very meaningful memories to me. So I definitely remember both of those movies very well and like my first time seeing them. Um, and then after that, I was just very involved in like the fan base on like social media. And, you know, in that, like, between period from, like, Mockingjay Part 2 in 2015 until Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes came out in 2020, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. Um, so I was kind of more of just, like, a casual fan. Like, I still loved it, but, like, I wasn't, like, actively engaging with it as much just because there was no, like, new movies or books. And then once Ballad came out in 2020, I read that and loved it. Um, and that's when I started getting, like, a lot more involved again and obviously getting excited for the new movie and, like, rereading all the old books, rewatching all the movies. And now here I am having a podcast, so you can tell how I feel about it now. But, yeah, that's basically my experience of how I got into the series and, like, what my earliest exposure to it was. I definitely remember my first time reading Mockingjay, like, very vividly because I read it in a day, which... For me, I'm like not that fast of a reader, especially when I was younger, when I was reading it. So that was like a big deal to me. And at the time, it was definitely my favorite of the three books just because of like the emotional impact it had on me. Um, As for the movies, Catching Fire is definitely my favorite. Like it's just so good, literally literally flawless, like no notes. Um, (laughs) But I also think it's like a very faithful adaptation of the novel. And then as for Ballad, yeah, I really liked it. Um, it's nice, you know, getting to kind of go back in Penem's history and kind of see like the time period in which the book takes place. Because the book takes place 64 years before the start of the first novel. So like the politics of the country are very different, just like the state of the world, the state of the capital in particular, because that's where most of the story takes place. And like people's opinions are very different. The Hunger Games themselves are incredibly different. 
Um, and now, especially now that we're getting a movie adaptation, like I've been recommending this book to people since it came out, but now, you know, there's a lot of people who want to read the book before the movie comes out and a lot of people who want to revisit the other books before the new movie. So I think like, this is a good time for everyone to kind of be rereading things or reading for the first time or reading ballad for the first time if you've already read the original novels. And it's just great to see like a lot of people getting back into the franchise who maybe were bigger fans when they were younger and then kind of like moved on or forgot about it and now are regaining their interest in it. Because like as someone who's been a fan for a very long time, that's something that's like really great to see that like this thing that I cared so much about when I was younger is really holding up and like people now are still like revisiting it and being like, oh my gosh, this is still really good. And especially like the experience of coming back and rereading it as an adult when maybe like you were a kid when you first read it, there's a lot of nuance and real world issues that are addressed that you like don't really see when you're a kid because you don't really like recognize those things. Um, but then like the first time I reread them as an adult, I was like, wow, there's a lot that I definitely missed. And there's a lot more meaning that I take from this now that I can like really fully understand like what the intention was behind these books being written and what they say about like our real world society through a fictional lens. So yeah, that's just a bit about, you know, the franchise, what it means to me, my first exposure to it. And I'm definitely very excited in future episodes and talking about later parts of the first book and the other books that can really kind of get into like things that stick out to me more now as an adult and like connections that I've made, but also like what my experiences were reading these books for the first time, because that's also something very meaningful is like your first time reading a book or watching a show or a movie that ends up like meaning a lot to you for the next literally in my case 10 years of my life so yeah those are definitely things that I'm going to keep circling back to and like specific moments and characters that have always stood out to me but I just thought I'd give a little background on like how I got here and why I'm doing this podcast thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem for those of you reading along with me next week's episode will cover chapters five through nine of the Hunger Games If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be back next week.